This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 7, Episode 14. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Silencer Shop. Today is Wednesday, October 26th, 2022, as of the recording of this episode, and I'm your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined today by Matthew Marister. Greetings, sir. Greetings, greetings. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Uh, Those of you joining us live on Facebook and YouTube, appreciate you for being a part of this. For those of you just listening to the podcast on your favorite podcast or audio playing app, we welcome you as well. We're glad to have you listening. And uh, folks, uh, we always appreciate it when you share the podcast with your like-minded friends, family, and coworkers. I hope to continue to expand and, and reach a broader audience uh, as we continue to bring to you, hopefully, some helpful content and information on concealed carry, the lifestyle, self-defense, and other Second Amendment related issues. So today, in fact, is our legislative news updates episode. So once a month, we like to share with you the kind of latest in the legislative space, if you will. Today, we're going to be sharing some stories about how the Senate, uh, particularly Senate Democrats, are at odds with DO uh, and, and DOJ are at odds with the ATF over the ghost gun rule. Uh, we've got a bunch of stuff to share with you about the mess regarding concealed carry in New York state after the, the, um, you know, Supreme court ruling a couple months ago, we got some news out of the state of Illinois. Some of you may find interesting some news out of Texas, and we're going to share with you what's going on across our Northern border. Our brothers and sisters up there in a place called the great white North Canada, uh, got some, some drama going on up there. So some, Stuff we'll share with you here today in today's episode is sponsored and brought to you by the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. Yes, I know it's a surprise to you, Matthew. He put something else in the show notes. <laughs> Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. We hope you guys will go to your chosen, uh, uh, whether it's the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store, go to your chosen mobile device application store. And just search Concealed Carry or Concealed Carry Gun Tools if you want the full name. Typically, when you search Concealed Carry within the first couple of results, you'll find the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. Why is this relevant? Well, it's free, 100% completely free to download to your mobile device. There are no ads on the, on the application. And it brings to you a ton of great resources at your fingertips, including helpful resources, information on state laws for concealed carry, as far as the the where's, the how's, the cans and cannots and do's and do nots and things like that. Right at your fingertips, you can pull up the handy dandy uh, uh, map tool where you can actually look up not only gun stores and gun uh, ranges and things like that, but also gun-free zones. Uh, as much as we have that information reported in the database, it'll show up in our map on the application as well. You can also get access to our most recent articles, news, stories, podcasts, things like that, all within the app. And if you just set up a free account within the app as well, 
Uh, in fact, if you are if you already have an account on our concealedcarry.com site, the same login credentials will get you in on the app. You could even record and track uh, training data as well. So check out the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. And again, in your favorite Apple or Google App Store today, we hope that you appreciate this free resource. Uh, in fact, a quick link, you can also go to concealedcarry.com forward slash mobile app concealedcarry.com forward slash mobile app. When you do that on your mobile device, it should automatically recognize the operating software you are using or operating system you're using and direct you to the appropriate store where you could download it for free. Today's other episode sponsored is the Law of Self-Defense Principles book written by attorney Andrew Branca. Uh, we think it's the one of the finest resources for this type of information out there anywhere go read it in fact it's a let's see nope this is not the principles one so i'll tell you what i got a copy here of andrew's original law of self-defense book and as you can see it's it's like an inch thick the principles book is like half of that thickness but still has all of the relevant critical legal information in it that you need. Andrew did a great job of condensing it down even further, but still not leaving out anything important for you to know regarding the law of self-defense. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D to check out not only the law of self-defense principles book, but a number of other resources available from Andrew Branca and law of self-defense. Let's get into today's episode. Last week at the end of uh, the industry news and gear reviews episode that Matthew and I did, uh, we sh- we mentioned briefly, we talked briefly about this uh, story out of New Zealand where we know a couple years ago, New Zealand instituted some, some, some of the strictest gun control laws they've ever had. And the unfortunate result for them, and that is that they got stricter, worse laws, and also worse crime. This tends to be a pattern that we see in all sorts of places that do similar things. We know, obviously, that, and it's not a direct correlation, but we know that often it is large cities, for instance, that have some of the strictest gun control laws, but also have some of the highest crime rates or states for that matter. So it's interesting that we can't seem to learn our lessons with respect to this stuff. And so we go over to Reuters.com reporting how Canada bans new handgun sales. And this is sales, transfers, and importations in latest gun control action by Ca- uh, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. This was announced just, uh, I think, last week and went into effect on Friday. What does this mean? It means exactly what I said. There's no more gun sales. There's no more transfers. There's no more imports for any handguns. It didn't even specify that certain types of handguns are exempt. It said all handguns now you when you purchase a handgun in in uh, canada you've got to go through a bit of a process uh, part of that process is submitting some paperwork um, there's uh, an approval that takes place a permit that's issued that sort of thing 
So they said they would continue to process applications that were received up to and through Friday of last week, but we are past that point now as of, as of the reporting of this. So uh, if you didn't get that in and you are a Canadian resident, you are hosed. <laughs> yeah. There, there, there's, yeah, you got what you got. Uh, and uh, they want to take things, I think, even a bit further with the proposed C-21 bill that they have in front of their Canadian legislature. Matthew, tell us, uh, tell us more here. Yeah. So this is, this is kind of, I, I know there's a tendency to say, well, you know, that's Canada and we have a constitution and all this. Yeah, that that's true. Um, but it's interesting. They're, they're going through some of the same things that we would typically see here. Um, it says here that, um, uh, part of the government of the Western province of Alberta previously said it would resist gun control measure measures uh, pr- proposed in Ottawa, you know, the capital. And so um, I'm not familiar, you know, I'm, I'm not a scholar in, in, uh, you know, can Canadian constitutional law or anything or what, you know, how much they can resist or whatnot. But um, you see, you know, different areas saying we, you can't govern us the same way, like we, we need that local government. And that's why, you know, the, the state governments giving the power to the states is so important in our, um, in, in our country. Right. And so we see that, um, we also see that the, the gun that they're going, that they're freezing or, or banning is a handgun. Right. And so, constantly we heard nobody wants to take your guns blah 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 then it's we only want to get the bad guns the ar-15s the assault rifles and eventually everybody knows where the logical conclusion goes to or where this progresses it's two handguns i mean if you're going to ban assault rifles and i'm putting air quotes around that for people that aren't watching um you know that that isn't going to impact crime in a positive way whatsoever. So when that fails, the natural progression is to ban handguns. And we're seeing that here in Canada now, you know, or there in Canada. Um, So I just think that we would be ignorant if we didn't think that there aren't people that, you know, in, in that make legislation that aren't looking at this and figuring out, you know, is there a, possible way we can do uh you know they're doing it up north and we need to support them because now you know uh, just like in mexico they've banned guns but they still have gun you know uh cartel violent people shooting you know people all over the place and so as soon as guns start going across into mexico from or into canada from the united states what do you think they're going to do right like well so i just i see that this has definite impact in, here in the United States uh, more than what we might think. What we see in Canada is not all that different than what we see in the U.S. or even within some, some many of the states that are trying to increase or are actually increasing gun control uh, restrictions in that you have uh, a lot of times the more rural parts of the country or the state or whatever. In this case, you got provinces like Alberta and others in the western part of Canada that uh, are a lot more rural and a lot smaller in terms of, or a lot more 
sparsely populated, lots of land mass and not that many people, uh, being ruled by wealthy and powerful elites in Ottawa and, uh, you know, basically having these things forced upon them. Um, again, this is not something that's unique, really. Uh, and so you see a lot of these Western provinces that are uh, trying to push back because uh, what's proposed in Ottawa is not necessarily what they see as being what's best for them. Mm-hmm. You know, thousands of, well, you know, a thousand plus miles to the West or North. So um, my heart goes out to our fellow brothers and sisters up there. Um, you know, they're, they're, they've already had some restrictions implemented over the you know past couple of decades uh, and uh, this is just taking it even uh, quite a bit more of an aggressive step forward so that's unfortunate to see and I hope that they can um, carefully navigate these legislative waters and find a way to push back and uh, hopefully put a check on their government I'm not super optimistic in that regard but I hope that you can find a solution Anyway, it's terrible to see. Meanwhile, certain things that have been proposed and have uh, been even implemented, and of course other things being further discussed here in the United States, things dealing with our own gun legislation, our own gun control restrictions, and in this case we're talking about the ghost gun rule as it's known um, by the ATF. Okay, which is basically they've been trying to go after uh, gun kit, gun manufacturing kit companies, um, you know, so your Palmer 80s and, and those types of, uh, of kits. And basically the idea here is, is that, uh, in fact, they released a bunch of new rules proposed, including with images. I, I looked at a lot of uh, I looked at the documentation myself and you look at it and it's, some of it's kind of silly in a way where you look at, well, this is a receiver, but this is not, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and the nuances are, there's, let's just say there's a lot of gray area, uh, you know, left to the imagination as far as uh, what is and is not legal. And so you've got some of these companies that are continuing to, hey, well, you know what? It says here, like, I remember this, there was an image showing how there was a, like a Palmer 80 type frame, if you will, grip module, really. And together with it was the, you know, the jig and the, and the bits or the mills and those kinds of things that you would use to remove the material necessary to make it compatible with and install the parts to make it a fully functional lower frame. Um, and basically the, what it seemed to imply is that, well, if you sell a grip module that is not completed and, but then you also sell the jigs and the tools necessary to readily complete the manufacturing of that frame, then that, is we are ruling a frame or receiver and must be serialized and must be sold through and or transferred through an FFL. 
And so then when you naturally what you have is people see that and they see that explanation and they go, well, fine, I'm going to sell the, the plastic grip module. Okay. And I'm not going to sell the jig and the tools with it. And maybe those will be available somewhere else. I don't know, but just going to sell the grip module, but you got the ATF and, or really members, democratic members of the Senate, and the Department of Justice trying to say, wait, 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 no, no, this was not, this is not correct. We want to restrict all these things. Anything that can be readily converted or made into a firearm, that is what should be restricted. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's interesting, you know, that uh, this is where we are. And I don't know what's what's your what's your take on this, and and you know what's your interpretation of everything that's going on here because it's, yeah. it's a bit of a mess. Yeah. And it's been this way for a long time, right? Like th- this, this whole receiver 80% uh, thing, ha- it's not a new, it's nothing new. And I think, you know, as you were speaking, I, I was trying to think of something smart I could say to add to what you were saying. Cause you know, you, you presented everything uh, appropriately. And what, what my brain just landed on is we wouldn't have any of these issues if the ATF didn't write rules because it's not a law. They're not legislating, right? So they write these rules that are purposefully uh, subjective because it's a rule. It didn't go through any legislative process. There's no back and forth. There's no people that are uh, representing the people that are crafting. The, so so it's a rule that's expressly Uh, written in a way that is open to interpretation. And so now then you have the legislative branch chiming in and saying, no, you need to, you know, this is how the rule should be interpreted. Well, dude, you're the legislative branch. You write law. Why don't, if you guys could get law passed, then you wouldn't need to do this. This, this is what happens when you try to legislate through rules. It's that's, that's not, that's not how it's set up. So now inevitably you have people that these these companies are acting in accordance with the ATF's rule they just don't like the rule because it was written you know uh, subjectively or you know in, in ways that could it could be enforced or interpreted uh different ways so th- this is this is a problem that is not going to go away and the more the a- ATF or these these uh bureaucracies try to legislate through, you know, unelected, you know, edicts and people that are unelected writing edicts and things. Um, it, we, we just get these, these very um, difficult uh, problems that never seem to go away. And um, yeah, it's, it's just dumb that the, the right to, to make your own firearm has been around since for as long as, you know, there were firearms. And so it's, yeah. So I don't need to go on and on. That argument was made in a, uh, in court um, or, or something here. Let's see. Yeah. It it mentions a judge. I don't know exactly where this was taken from. Uh, Apparently a lawsuit that a Texas company called division 80 filed. And there was some argument that took place in court um, over some of these very things that you mentioned. And uh, let's see here if I can 
find uh yeah in fact the, the their attorney here argued it's not just about a license it's about the ability to build a firearm a right that's existed since the nation's founding mm-hmm. and but basically they're arguing over what's considered to be a receiver and not and readily convertible and what that is exactly because obviously what's at stake here for this uh, division 80 company is whether they're not they can sell their inventory uh and I, some of these companies have, companies have millions and millions of dollars tied up in inventory or or equipment to make inventory. Um, this is a this is a hot hot topic for these guys. They're and they're spending money to to go after and protect not only their right to do business, also our rights as Americans to continue to manufacture firearms in our own private way, however we choose to do so for our own personal use. Anyway. We'll continue to follow this as we can. Um, there's been, you know, with the recent, uh, uh, some of the recent federal court rulings throws more and more things. In fact, we got something coming up here, I think. Uh, yeah, like this case out of Texas. We're going to talk about this here in a little bit out of the uh, Northern District of Texas, U.S. District Court uh, regarding 18 to 20 year 18 to 20 year old handgun possession for self-defense um, even stuff like that throws into question um, what kinds of restrictions can be applied uh, and, and that case seems it seems to take to heart the recent Supreme Court ruling uh, you know the the if it's an if, if we're seeing things interpreted now much more closely to the quote shall not be infringed in end quote interpretation of the Second Amendment than we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, that Bruin uh, decision is starting to make some waves in some other ways that maybe we didn't uh, fully see. You know, when that first came out a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Let's go now to. New York, speaking of which, the Bruin decision, New York State's Attorney General Letitia James filed an appeal to keep the state's controversial Concealed Carry Improvement Act law in effect while the court determines if aspects of it violate the Constitution. Matthew, you actually wrote this article on our site. In fact, our subsite, newyork.concealedcarry.com. Tell us what's what's this one about? What's this injunction about? Yeah, so as you mentioned, this this Concealed Carry Improvement Act, we've been kind of documenting this as it came through. It was directly a response from uh, New York legislatures and legislator uh, legislature and uh, Governor Hochul in response to the that uh, New York State Pistol and Rifle Association versus Bruin uh, ruling that kind of knocked them down and said, hey, you can't pose these arbitrary uh, criteria onto uh, somebody's constitutional right to protect themselves with a firearm. And so um, they drafted this extremely aggressive law um, in response, and it's not my speculation that that's what it's for or that's what it was uh governor hochel even said in her own words so uh, she was proud about that and th- that it was a response to the you know she called the the ruling reckless and all the other you know names that you could think of um but basically some of these criteria that in this law 
were the exact things that were addressed in Bruin and said, you know, like the, these arbitrary, uh, means tests. And so, um, this is the case is Anto Antonyuk versus Hochul Antonyuk, maybe, um, and basically, uh, this the, the suit says, you know, these the aspects of this this law are unconstitutional. The judge said, "Hey, we're going to put a, a, a stop to this law while this case goes forward. We think there's merit to this." They 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 stopped the the law aspects, just aspects of it that were overtly like uh, out of control, and the um, New York Attorney General. Uh, you know, obviously said, no, we want to continue the law that's in effect now because now, you know, it's going to create um, problems because we just rolled this law out and now people won't know, you know, is it, is it live? Is it not? And, and, um, but some of the, some of the things uh, that it put a pause on were that the applicants, uh, concealed carry applicants must provide a list of current and former social media accounts. The applicants must provide evidence showing their, quote, good moral character. Uh, it made city subways prohibited or sensitive areas that you couldn't carry uh, and Times Square in general as a prohibited sensitive area. And the, I mean, like I said, these are the exact issues <laughs> that were uh, that were addressed. Like, what is how do you prove good moral character? And what's the standard, right? Why, and, why do you have to prove good moral character? Exactly. I mean, and, and so, um, so basically, that's that's what we that's what we have uh, going on there. Since then, I mean, there has been um, just crazy stuff going on. Um, they want to, you know, New York using social media, the actual posts. So you're, they want their social media accounts so they can go back and say, hey, has this person, you know, posted anything that we find offensive or potentially dangerous or whatever criteria they want? That's the, that's the means test. So they moved from, you know, a general, hey, you need good cause or you need to provide reason that you need to get a permit they just changed it and said well we won't give you a permit it, you know unless you give us these things and provide it, it's the same thing and so uh this is crazy <laughs> it, it really is yeah yeah uh it, so the bruin case yeah or that decision alone like was was all based around this may issue question and it came out that no, look, you've got to issue people permits unless there's like a really good, like legitimate reason why you shouldn't or cannot do so. Meaning they have a criminal record that prohibits them from being able to have a concealed carry permit. And the fact that New York State takes that and goes, well, look, we're gonna, all right, we're gonna, <laughs> tr- we're gonna have, we're gonna implement this process that gives you, you know, it's all smoke and mirrors. Like, well, look, we're complying. We're, we now have a, a better permit issuing process now, and we are issuing it to more people. But as part of that process, applicants must provide evidence showing their good moral character. Well, hold on now. Why do I have to prove anything to you? Like, it's your job as the state to disprove that I am able to, lawfully carry a weapon 
That's your job through the means of checking the normal databases that every other state or government entity does to determine, am I a violent offender? Am I a felon? Do I have certain misdemeanors on my record? Particularly domestic violence related things, those kind of things of those nature of those questions. Like that's your job to prove that I am unable to carry a gun. Yeah. The Bruin decision basically establishes that. Uh, the social media accounts thing. That, that's hilarious. It's laughable. We're going to go into your social media accounts and we're going to investigate, you know, y- y- your social media. Mm-hmm. Like, what? what is that all about? None of those things are like... <laughs> What should restrict you from being able to carry a gun should be something that you have actually been convicted of or are maybe you put things on hold because you're facing charges, you know, or something like that. But to actually have to for you to have to prove that you are an okay person like that's that's just phenomenal to me. Well, Um, also, you should know. We've attached to this story a bunch of other related stories. Uh, For instance, Matthew, you have another story titled New York's new anti-gun laws are a disaster. Go live today. This was published, uh, uh, well, September 1st when this actually went into effect. Okay. So almost two months ago now, actually at this point. And you uh, shared a letter that was sent to a firearms instructor that we know in New York City that received the letter saying that, hey, look, your place of business may now be considered a sensitive location. And you may not be able to continue possessing a firearm at this location. Hmm. And if you want to remain in compliance, you got to bring your firearm to us so we can keep it safe for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I just... Just amazing. Uh, And then you also shared in this article, Matthew, the list of sensitive places that New York has established. And you start with the letter A and you go A, B, C, D, and so on and so forth until you get to the letter T. (laughs) And that's the quantity of categories that they have decided to establish as sensitive locations or sensitive places. Some of these are not totally out of left field. Uh, Place of worship, for instance, like the state of Nebraska doesn't let you carry concealed or carry firearms into places of worship unless you have specific permission from uh, uh, you know the governing authority over that place of worship um, but they they also include uh, libraries public playgrounds public parks zoos nursery schools preschools summer camps all kinds of health care facilities all kinds of health care facilities domestic violence shelters emergency shelters so if you went into some kind of state of emergency cuz you know what was that big hurricane that hit uh, that region a mm-hmm. few years ago um drawing a blank yeah. but anyway you had to suddenly evacuate leave your home and go to an emergency shelter like guess what you got to leave your guns behind a residential programs for victims of domestic violence Uh, let's see, in or upon any buildings or grounds owned or leased of educational institutions, 
private schools, et cetera, et cetera. So private schools can't make their own rules. Private schools can't deem on their own accord that they are a sensitive place. No, it's just that's that's determined already by New York. Um, any place conveyance or vehicle used for public transportation, public transport, that's where we've heard about subways being off limits, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the area commonly known as Times Square is specifically called out. <laughs> can't have any guns there. Can't carry there. Any gathering in, in, of individuals to collectively express their constitutional rights to protest or assemble? Yeah. So hold on. While we're ex, uh, exercising our First Amendment right, we cannot exercise our Second Amendment right. Or any public sidewalk or other public area restricted from general public access for a limited time or a special event. Whatever the heck that means. But sidewalks, apparently. Yeah. So anyway, and there's a bunch of other categories of places. And so thanks for uh, detailing that all out, Matthew. Um, there's a bunch of other things in that article people could go uh, and take a look at and, and read for themselves. It may not apply to many of us, but uh, meaning that I don't live in New York. I don't go to New York. I don't travel there. I've been there like I passed through there two times. Uh, and I wouldn't be able to carry there anywhere anyway because of, uh, you know, a lack of reciprocity or whatever. But uh, but there are uh, midterm elections coming up. And so if you live in New York and you're listening, you know, and you weren't aware of this, uh, you might not even be a pro-gun person. But to if this this should strike you as if they could do this to the Second Amendment, why wouldn't they do it to any other amendment? Right. Like, yeah. So why don't they suspend your right to uh, unreasonable search and seizure while you're in Times Square? You know, and basically what we see in the next article that uh, real quick uh, where the governor sends out or, or the, the uh, it might have. Yeah, it was the, the governor uh, sends out a, a, a letter to law enforcement, basically a memo saying, um, you know, basically. um that anybody who who may have a firearm uh, is presumed to be carrying it illegally, and therefore you have uh, legal authority to stop and detain that person, uh, pat them down, frisk them. Um, and so why why not suspend the Fourth Amendment? You're suspending the Second Amendment. Why why not? Why? You know, um, the, this is how this is how it happens. This is uh, you know, this is why it's important that even if you're not a super pro gun person, that you see this as very dangerous, uh, that, a an elected official would do, would, would in the, especially in the wake of that ruling would do these things. Um, assume that gun owners are breaking the law. I mean, mm -hmm. it, how, how does it, how does there it, is no presumption of innocence? No, there is no due process. No. You, you are assumed to be a bad guy. And, you know, so you're walking with your family in, in, you know, in some area and a police officer sees a bulge in your waist, you know, could be a cell phone, could be a colostomy bag. I don't know, but they're just going to assume right. it's a gun, put you in handcuffs, have you sit on the curb while your kid watches you get frisked. And, you know, like, is this is do is this i mean there may be people that think that that's reasonable i don't think it's a majority and uh i i certainly think that it's 
completely unreasonable in our country. Directly from this legal bureau bulletin that was sent out, it says this, anyone carrying a firearm is presumed to be carrying unlawfully until proven otherwise. So you're guilty until proven innocent. And then it says recent changes in law do not impact the way officers conduct investigative encounters. Officers may stop an individual when the officer has reasonable suspicion that an individual is carrying a firearm and may frisk that individual since the officer has reasonable suspicion that the individual is armed and dangerous. What's dangerous is this level of thought. Mm -hmm. What's dangerous is this mode of operation behind closed doors, behind the scenes in the upper echelons of New York State and New York City government making presumptions that people are guilty until proven innocent goes com- flies completely in the face of the U S constitution. This itself is not constitutional. What is written in this bulletin and the approach being taken here, but this comes as no surprise from the same administration that is saying for you to apply for your new shall issue New York state concealed carry permit that you must prove that you are a good moral person and that you must provide access to your social media accounts so they can go investigate things which are not illegal, may not be illegal, should not be illegal, whatever that, you know, like stuff that you just post on social media, stuff that you wrote, perhaps under the protections of the First Amendment. Right. And without due process, they may look at some of those things, whatever those things may be, because sometimes people post stuff that they probably shouldn't, you know, like in a, you know, that are kind of risque, risque, you know, would be, I guess would be the word or, or a little bit off color or sometimes uh, even as a joke or uh, uh, sarcastically, but maybe in, misinterpreted. Right. And so, Again, no due process, no presumption of innocence. You must prove you're a good person. And if you get stopped by a police officer, they're going to assume you're not a good person. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, I get how that works a lot of times on the law enforcement side that they're dealing with a lot of scumbags a lot of days. And that, that jades people to an extent a lot of times anyway. But like you still, there's still constitutional law that must be followed and obeyed. And like nowhere else do you get to just stop somebody on a whim because you're like, I see a bulge. I think they must be carrying a firearm and therefore they must be, you know, unlawfully carrying it because clearly this person's a criminal. Mm -hmm. What? (laughs) That's, that's, yeah, flies in the face of the constitution. And that's really, really disgusting to see, but not surprising from this administration in, Mm -hmm. in New York. Nope. Turning to a website called theintelligencer.com. Uh, Edward, Edwardsville, I'm assuming this is in uh, Illinois. Yeah. Um, because that's what the article has to deal with. And so the title here is Suit Challenges State Near Ban on Select Rifles and Suppressors. Um, so Illinois is one of those states where at the state level, they prohibit 
suppressors. Can't, can't, can't get them unless you're law enforcement and you can't get short barreled rifles. Okay. Even though you can apply to the ATF, typically via form one or something like that to obtain an SBR for yourself. Uh, but the state does not permit that to be done. Okay. And so, uh, there's a lawsuit taking place. Uh, Matthew, why don't you fill us in on the details of what this uh, lawsuit is going after and the, the basis of it? Yeah. So the plaintiff here's, uh, his name's Dorman and he wants to buy three items. One is a 1911 pistol with an attachable shoulder stock, uh, a five, five, six rifle, a short barrel, assuming, uh, some AR type rifle with a 14 and a half inch barrel. So the short barrel rifle, um, and, um, and a silencer. And so the, the silencer is obviously prohibited. And, um, we talked about, uh, you talked about the, uh, the SBR short barrel rifle, um, designation, right? So, uh, basically what ends up happening is he says, look, I, I want to buy these things and the law that prohibits them is, is bogus. It's, it doesn't make sense. Right. Um, he says, um, dormant suits states that prior to 1934, uh, be- before the NFA, the national firearms act, uh, regulated them, rifles and handguns equipped with shoulder stocks were common. Um, the suit states that these arms are covered under the second amendment's right to keep and bear arms. Uh, he's also saying that, uh, prior to 1934, suppressors were un- unregulated. Um, and so he says, um, you know, that he wants this for home defense because, you know, shooting uh, indoors, uh, you know, better for his hearing. And, and if he were to have to use it, uh, use his rifle indoors, um, he wants a, a suppressor on it. Now, and here's the thing. The brewing case comes into play in here as well because, you know, the brewing case was m- not just about like the, you know, shall issue, may issue. It, it really changed the the standard that courts were looking at when they looked at the constitutionality of a gun law and said, well, we're going to look at it through the filter of, in, in, in essence, the filter of was, is, what is the historical idea of the second amendment and would, would this his, his historical ban or law um, apply back then? And if, if not, then, then the plain reading of the second amendment basically um, should only under, you know, very um, if the, if the state can show uh, you know, a high degree that this is, this is mandatory for um public safety or something like that, can they regulate it or they can regulate it under those types of circumstances. But banning a rifle that was common use uh, since, you know, the the constitution, the second amendment was written um, and not being able to tie a, a great, you know, um, reason to ban that tying it to, you know, uh, you know, safety or, um, you know, security or anything like that then the government can't just arbitrarily pick and choose what we're going to say is banned and not. And so that's one of the aspects of that brewing case that is really, we're seeing it like the tentacles of that in all these other uh, suits that are coming up. Yeah. Yeah. I particularly found that 
it was interesting. One of the angles this lawsuit is taking is that, and you mentioned how suppressors were unregulated prior to 1934, and the suit specifically cites the shipping of a suppressor from the Maxim Silencer Company of Hartford, Connecticut, to a person in Collinsville, uh, assuming Collinsville, Illinois, prior to the National Firearms Act being instituted. This guy's uh, seeking a ruling that Illinois residents with a federal curio and relics license be allowed to possess short barrel rifles and I assume also suppressors by that same logic. It's an interesting angle to take. We'll see if this goes anywhere. Good luck to Mr. Dorman with his lawsuit. Uh, certainly I'd love to see this one win and go, go through. Suppressors should be legal and unregulated entirely. That's just a simple fact. Mm-hmm. One little tidbit from this article, it mentioned how in 2021, according to the American Suppressor Association, there were 2.664 million regi- su- suppressors registered with the ATF, an increase of 30% or 622,000 of them since the previous year. I saw that. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, wow. Wow. Like that's, that's, that's amazing. Suppressors are quickly becoming, in you know, to be considered in common use. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like they're just more and more people are getting them. It's uh, it's amazing. Let's go now to thereload.com, an article by Jake Fogelman. Federal judge rules 18 to 20-year-olds have right to carry guns in Texas. So, and I referenced this earlier saying we'd come back to this how a federal judge on the in the U.S. District Court for Northern District of Texas ruled this. This was actually Thursday back in August. This is a little bit old. We know that. Uh, but it's been a while since we did a legislative updates episode. Um, that a Texas law prohibiting 18 to 20-year-olds from carrying handguns for self-defense was inconsistent with the Second Amendment. Now, what he writes here, this judge, in his order is pretty interesting. Based on the Second Amendment's text as informed by founding era history and tradition, the court concludes that the second amendment protects against this prohibition. Texas's statutory scheme must therefore be enjoined to the extent that law abiding 18 to 20 year olds are prohibited from applying for a license to carry a handgun. Uh, It's thought that, that the Bruin, uh, Supreme Court decision had uh, quite a strong effect on this uh, case as well. Uh, Let's see. Also quoting from this ruling, he wrote, at the founding, the militia was generally understood to be comprised of all able-bodied men, which included 18 to 20-year-olds. And because 18 to 20-year-olds were and are a part of the militia, the Second Amendment must protect their right to keep and bear arms. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is a uh, quite, like I said, I mentioned it earlier, uh, a strict uh, interpretation of the second amendment says what it says. And it's being applied here in this federal case. Now uh, this injunction was delayed by 30 days to allow time for Texas state officials to decide if they will appeal the decision. I have not seen an update to this as we've had we have surpassed those 30 days i would presume and knowing that for the most part the state of texas at the state level is 
pretty conservative uh, on a lot of Second Amendment issues that maybe they've said, okay, you're right, and are just letting this go go the way of this of this ruling. Um, that would be my assumption anyway. And if anybody has heard anything differently, let us know. You can, of course, always contact us and email us at uh, podcast at concealedcarry.com. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought one, uh, there's uh, the lawyer from uh, Firearms Policy Coalition who's involved in this case. Um, he said, uh, Texas cannot point to a single founding era law that prohibited 18 to 20 year olds from carrying functional firearms for self-defense because not only did no such law exist, but those individuals are an important reason why we have the Bill of Rights in the first place. Uh, this decision is a significant victory for the rights of young adults in Texas and demonstrates for the rest of the nation that similar bans cannot withstand constitutional challenges grounded in history as Bruin and Heller require. So there's that Bruin case coming up again to show, you know, we're no longer we're, we're going to look at the, con- the the Constitution and, and we're not going to play, you know, uh, mad libs with it and just fill in, Hey, you know, shall not be infringed. Well, that doesn't really mean that it means, you know, um, we just get to kind of change it as we, as we feel. So, um, yeah, this is, this is a, this was a pretty, pretty big one. And, and it potentially could, this ruling could potentially have impact on other rulings, right. Uh, as it relates mm-hmm. to 18, 19 and 20 year olds possessing firearms. Um, so. Yep. Yep. All righty. Getting close to the end here. Illinois gun blitz finds nearly 60% breaking laws. This is interesting. This actually comes out of Collinsville, Illinois, uh, which was just referenced in that last article. And uh, uh, the source of this is fox2now.com. And this is a report that the Illinois State Police uh, did a firearm enforcement blitz this summer. And by this, so please understand that in Illinois, you've got to have a uh, firearm owner's identification card, right? Uh, you can also, that's that's just to possess and own your firearm, right? Uh, that's not what you have when you are, when you have a permit to carry concealed, there's a separate permit that's issued for concealed carry in the state of Illinois. So the firearm owner's identification card is applied for, received, uh, that allows you to purchase and possess a firearm in the state. And then what happens is if you do something that now makes you a prohibited possessor, they're supposed to, you're supposed to surrender your FOID card and also any firearms that, uh, that you possess or transfer them to someone that is lawful to possess them. And it also says that the, individu- the individual must also fill out a firearms disposition record to be given to the Illinois State Police. And the fact is, what they said here is that uh, thousands of people refuse to comply with this. You know, if something happens, they, they get charged with something, they get convicted of something, and they simply fail to follow through on surrendering their FOID card and any firearms that they may have. So the state police decided that they would go track some of these people down and bring them into compliance is the wording that was used. So um, <laughs> fact is, it says 60% are, were not in compliance. Uh, and uh, But 
I mean, that should be a, a surprise because what this just shows is, you know, the, the, these people that needed that were not in compliance were not in compliance because they broke a law that made that you know meant that they could no longer possess firearms. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're a lawbreaker, like what's to keep you from breaking further laws, especially ones that are more administrative in, in nature. Uh, by, by that meaning, you know, surrendering your void card and so forth. So, yeah. And, and, you know, if you're, if you're doing away with bail and, you know, releasing people on their own recognizance on felonies and, and violent assault charges like that, you know, those people are not going to, what the first thing they do when they get out of, you know, you know, jail is not going to, Hey, Hey, I got to go down. Sorry. I got to go down and turn my guns in. Right. Like that, that's not what, that's not what they're doing. There is another aspect of this because this, this, uh, the article says they focused on, um, it says some of these circumstances included being convicted of a felony. So it's not just charged, but they were convicted or making threats that endangered the public safety. Now that kind of jumped out at me because, um, towards the end of the article, um, there's a quote from East St. Louis police chief, Kendall Perry. And he says, um, post COVID we've had an extremely, we had an extreme high rise in violent crimes due to firearms. So there, and I understand not everybody, maybe they misquoted him or maybe he's not a great wordsmith, but there's not crimes due to firearms. Like firearms aren't committing the crimes, right? But, so the crimes aren't due to firearms, um, number one. But the the one of the criteria is the basically the red flag laws, what they're what they're calling clear and present danger reports. So it says qualified medical professionals and school administ- administrators can submit a clear and present danger report if they have a concern about an individual. And so if this through this uh, clear and present danger report, if they report this, um, a, an individual, uh, what ends up happening is if they, they will follow up and check and see if this guy has uh, or gal has a FOID card. And if that's the case, bye-bye goes your your FOID card and you have to turn in your firearm. So these are people that were out of compliance, right? Um, and so I I just looked up, you know, and we provide all these links in in the show notes so you can double check and make sure I'm not, you know, you know, saying anything that isn't true. Um, I looked up the the clear and present danger, you know, uh, link that is provided, and it basically, you know, tells you how you can uh, apply or, or uh, submit one of these forms, and there is no um, th- this this is the criteria. It says. Um, uh, let me find it. Okay. When a student or other person demonstrates threatening physical or verbal behavior, such as violent, suicidal, or assault of threats, actions, or other behaviors determined to pose a clear and present danger them to, uh, they're missing to, to themselves or others. So you could, you could just say a verbal, verbal behavior. Uh, you know, there, there are, if you, you could take this verbal behavior or assaultive behavior, verbal, whatever to a lot. I mean, there are people that say if you, you know, misgender them, then you're, you know, that's violent, a violent act. Now, is that something that 
you know, somebody's going to come and report. I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know. But if that's the criteria, it, it says that there somebody um, who submits one of these is immune to any. Uh, it, it says, um, where does it say this? It says uh, that there they shall not be held criminally, civilly, or professionally liable for making or not making the notification required under the subsection, except for willful or wanton misconduct. So unless you're purposely trying to get back at your ex. Um, but hey, mm. you, I, I just genuinely thought that this person was violently aggressive. They said some mean things and uh, I think you should go check them out and bam, you know, now you, you're, you have the, uh, the police coming to your door. It's just, uh, I, I, I don't know. I think that this is, this is a little bit uh, not good, I guess would be a light way. <laughs> I can't hear clear and present danger and not picture Harrison Ford's face. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. Well, today's, uh, mm, what's the word? You know, summing up today, the pattern is Canada, New York, Illinois, and other similar places doing stupid stuff, <laughs> you know, trying to, uh, it's just, it's remarkable to me. You know, we, we do this under the guise of, we got to make things safer for the general public. And, uh, that was literally in Justin Trudeau's, uh, speech where he said, you know, for the sake of improving safety, uh, we, we have to ban handguns in Canada and stop them for being sold and transferred and um that is the that is the age-old argument now i say that it is the age-old argument now it's been used for a long time and we just know from evidence that like that is not a direct correlation banning firearms restricting firearms increasing gun control does not guarantee or lead to a reduction in crime so anyway, we know that, but folks, we bring this to you so that hopefully, you know, and you, you see on the, on the horizon. Well, some of you, this affects directly because you may live in these jurisdictions for the rest of us. This is the stuff we need to be keeping an eye on, on the horizon mm-hmm. that, you know, it's, it's coming to a city, county, state, or even to the federal level near you. Again, today's episode sponsor brought to you by the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app, our free mobile app download. We hope that you'll go check it out and make sure you have this installed on your mobile device for your convenience. I used it just recently traveling to Alabama for the USPSA Production National Championship and just making sure that I know all the various rules with respect to carrying concealed. I knew I had reciprocity with the state of Alabama. But it's the little stuff that matters. I'll give you an example. Pulling up the app right now. So if I go to the Maps tab, and and under Maps, there's also another Maps tab. That's where you find the firearms uh, business directory and the gun-free zones and all that. But I can go to Alabama under the Laws tab. And the thing I remember um, 
wanting to make sure I knew because I was going to dinner with some friends in a, in a pub, in a grill and bar kind of, or bar and grill kind of place, you know, well, they're selling alcohol and whatnot. I mean, I wasn't partaking in that, obviously, it may be, for those of you that know me, but uh, I want to make sure I could carry concealed in there. So pull up my app, go to Alabama and pull up the laws right here. Restaurants serving alcohol. No specific restriction. Okay, cool. Nothing to worry about then. So, little stuff like that, guys. That's why I recommend that you have the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app on your mobile device. Check it out at concealedcarry.com forward slash mobile app. Also, today's episode brought to you by the Law of Self-Defense Principles book written by attorney Andrew Branca, the country's, in my opinion, foremost expert on such laws. Go check it out at concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D. That's law of self-defense. Concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D. Thanks so much for being a part of this episode with us here today. Matthew, thank you for doing it together with me as usual. Thank you. (laughs) And so until next time, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.